this morning, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Our focus will be on verses 20, 21 and 22 on passing the baton of faith uh, to my uh, child. You know, p- passing a baton uh, can be a tricky business. I learned this when I was uh, in uh, high school. Uh, Janet will appreciate this. Uh, Janet, most, many of you may not know our trumpet player. Uh, she was a, a, a track star in uh, both high school and at Auburn University, and uh, she'll appreciate this. But uh, this was probably one of my lowest moments in my athletic uh, career. It was my uh, junior year, and I was a part of a sprint relay team. Uh, I ran the uh, opening leg of the relay, and our relay team had literally shattered uh, the state record for Maryland. And there was no one in the entire state that was even remotely close uh, to, our, to our time. Well, we got to the district meet, and uh, you had to be, I forget what it was, top three or four teams in the district meet to, be, uh, to move on to the uh, state meet. And, uh, and in that race, uh, like I said, I ran the first leg, uh, the boy that I was to give the baton to, we botched the uh, pass. And so badly that the baton fell to the track. And when it trail, fell, it was an asphalt track. That thing started bouncing. And uh, many of you may not know this. Janet would, of course. But when you're uh, in a relay team, you only have a certain uh, di- area, area that you're able to make legally that pass. I mean, you can actually drop it and then pick it up and keep running. But if you get outside of that uh, uh, area that's designated, you're disqualified. And it went outside that area, and uh, we were disqualified. And uh, so we want to look at how we can successfully uh, pass the baton of faith uh, to the uh, succeeding uh, generation. So please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And let's look at our verses, very, very simple uh, verses that show that baton of faith being passed on to the succeeding generation. Uh, Verse uh, 20, it says, By faith Isaac, and of course, who had Isaac received the baton of faith from? Who was his daddy? Abraham, that's right. And so, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his sons, regarding things to come. And then by faith Jacob... As he was dying, uh, blessed each of his sons, uh, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And then by faith, Joseph, of course, who was a son of Jacob, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Now notice the very first statement in your notes. And uh, we're not going to be able to finish the message today. We'll just sort of uh, introduce it, maybe get through the first point, and then I'll conclude it next week. But look at that first statement, first paragraph in your sermon notes. In verses 8 through 19, the preceding verses, we see Abraham and Sarah, who ran with endurance the race God had set before them. Here in verses 20 through 22, we see that they relayed the baton of faith to their son Isaac, who in turn passed it on to Jacob, who in turn passed it on to Joseph and his other sons and grandchildren. And just stop right there a moment. The important thing to see in verses 20 through 22 is that despite, 
many failures and lapses of faith in their lives, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all finished well. Now, I emphasize that right up front, hopefully to be an encouragement to us, because we're going to be talking about passing the baton of faith to the next generation. Uh, we'll be talking to parents, to grandparents, and we all have a responsibility to pass that baton of faith to the next generation. But also in this area, we're all very aware of our failures as parents, as grandparents, as adults trying to influence the next generation. And in those failures, we can become very discouraged, we can become very disappointed. But I want you to see that these men had great failures, they had great lapses of faith. Uh, but God never gave up on them, and in the end, their faith stood strong. And, and that gives me an opportunity that, to mention something that I'll probably emphasize a little bit more next week as well, is as, as we talk about influencing the next generation, realize they can handle our imperfections. What they can't handle is hypocrisy. I've learned that from my 10 children. My 10 children know me as well or better than anyone, maybe other than Kathy. They know my shortcomings. They know my failures. But I believe that they would say, I have attempted the best I could to be transparent about my failures and shortcomings. And to be very quick to acknowledge them, to confess them, to ask forgiveness. So as we, as we look at this truth over the next two weeks... I don't want to try to hold up some sort of standard of perfection and we'll just all collapse under the weight of that. No, we're frail human beings. And as we uh, continue down life's journey and on this race of faith, we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to make mistakes. There's going to be failures. There's going to be lapses. But we don't need to think that just because I have failed and even had a significant failure that that necessarily is the end of my influence. No, there's always grace with God. There's always mercy with God. There's always an opportunity for what? A new beginning. And with that new beginning to have an influence on those uh, below me. See, each of these individuals, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they died with a strong, vibrant faith in God, confident that God would fulfill His promise to make their family a great nation through which the entire world would be blessed. And although not one of them saw the fulfillment of that prophecy, of that promise in their lifetime, with eyes of faith, they knew it was as good as done. And I'll tell you where you really see that is in the example of Joseph. And let me just take a moment with that. Verse 22 Yes, what's that talking about? It says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. And you say, wait a minute, how, how could he have possibly known about the exodus since that was still hundreds of years ahead in the future? Well, because of the promises God gave them. If you take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15. We don't have time to get into this passage in depth, but this relates to Abraham. Remember, Abraham was the one who initially received God's promises. 
that uh, he would raise up through Abraham's loins a great nation that would bless the earth. He would give them a designated promised land. And of course, as uh, Abraham continued his journey of faith, he was not seeing the fulfillment of that. Uh, and so he begins to ask God, well, when will all this come about? And notice verse 13, Genesis 15, verse 13. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers, foreigners in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And see, Abraham just took that promise, and he passed that to Isaac, and Isaac passed it to Jacob, and Jacob passed it to Joseph. So these men knew that God was going to give them a promised land. He, Joseph knew that Egypt was not their final home. So by faith, when he was dying, he instructed his children, Hey, when I die, I want you to uh, uh, make sure that when the exodus comes and God takes you into that promised land, that you'll take my bones, my remains with you and plant them there in that land that God has uh, uh, so graciously promised to us. So by faith, to sum up, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were able to bless their children concerning God's future blessings on their family, and then they passed that baton of faith on to the succeeding generation who in turn uh, continued uh, to run that relay of faith. Now, Go back to that first paragraph in your, in your notes and look at the last two sentences. We too, now let's apply it to you and I. Okay, we see how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob passed that baton of faith on to the next generation, but we too must see the importance of passing the baton of faith to the next generation. Parenting is a relay race in which parents are to hand off to their child the essentials they need to live a life of faith. Now look with me in your notes at the nature of the faith we're to pass on. Because here in Hebrews 11, we've seen a lot about faith, what true authentic biblical faith is, the faith that God desires us to uh, uh, give to our children. And, uh, and we're going to move through these quickly because they're basically a review of what we've previously looked at. But look at that first point. Faith sees the promised future God offers it sees that promised future, which changes, changes the believer's desires to value God more than anything the world has to offer. Uh, look at uh, verse 13. It says, all these died in faith. Who, who is the all talking about? We'll go back to verse 9. By faith, he, who does the he refer to? Abraham. By faith, Abraham, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with, notice, Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. So in verse 13, when it says all these died in faith, it's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice they died in faith, verse 13, without receiving the promises. In other words, they went to their grave and they never saw God fulfill the promises that he had given them. But having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, they knew again it was as good as done since God had guaranteed it. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And then look at verse 16. 
But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. The the simple thing I want to point out that we've seen throughout Hebrews chapter 11, that true, authentic, biblical faith brings a change in a person's life. Faith has much more to do than just giving intellectual assent to the truths about Jesus. Faith is trusting obedience. Faith is following Him. Faith is surrendering to His authority to to serve His agenda, to seek His approval. And so when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, their desires are changed. They begin to value God more than things of the world. And that's why you see them living as what? Foreigners. Living as pilgrims. On the, They realized this was not their final dwelling place. They desired something much better, a heavenly home, which dictated uh, their entire lives. Look at the second uh, truth that closely relates that first. Faith seeks God and the fulfillment of His promises, which changes the believer's direction in life to put him out of sync with the world. We've seen this again throughout the book of Hebrews, that when a person is converted to Christ and he begins to follow Jesus and as God begins to change his desires as he values God more than anything this world can offer, it definitely puts him out of sync in this world. He begins to go against the current. And you see that in verses 14 and 15. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, it's saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all had the opportunity to return back to the Ur of the Chaldees. They had every opportunity to plug back into the world, into a materialistic outlook, and to live for themselves. But they had tasted God. They had been forever changed. They realized God offered something much better. And because God offered something much better, they had their eyes fixed on God, which totally changed the direction of their lives that made them look very different, radically different from those who had a worldly perspective on life, a very temporal view in life. These men had an eternal perspective that that literally... Uh, changed and dictated the way they looked at life, the way they lived life, the way they behaved, the way they conducted themselves. And then look at the third characteristic of uh, true faith. Faith satisfaction is found in God alone and the fulfillment of His promises, which changes the believer's what? Destination. So that nothing short of heaven fully satisfies. Faith changes the believer's destination. So nothing fully satisfies Nothing short of heaven itself. Look at verse, the latter part of verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why is He not ashamed? Because they desire God. Because their lives have been touched and changed by God. They're following Him. So He says, I'm not, ash- I'm not ashamed to call them my brethren. Because they've tasted me. They love me. They're pursuing me. Yes, they ha- they're, they're not perfect. Yeah, they struggle. Yeah, they fail, they have lapses at times, but bottom line, they love me, and they desire me, and they're following me. So I'm not ashamed to come for He has prepared, notice, a city for them. That's their final destination. So I just want to emphasize that when we're talking about passing the baton of faith to my child or to the next generation, we're not talking about just passing on intellectual truth about Christianity 
about Jesus, about the Bible. We're talking about passing on a lifestyle where that an individual has changed the very depth and heart of, of his desires at, at the level of his values, which dictates the entire direction of his life because now he realizes he has a different destination than the rest of the world. So how to pass the baton of faith to my child. Let's just see how far we can go with this first point and then... Uh, We'll go as long as we can with the, uh, with, uh, as time permits, and then we'll pick it up uh, and finish next week. Number one, if I'm going to pass the baton of faith to my child, I have to target God's purpose in the training of my child, which is being resolved. That's that blank, being resolved. In other words, you're not going to be an effective parent without resolve without doing this intentionally, without doing this deliberately, without being focused on this. This must become the target of your life, your ambition, your goal, your focus. Because without that resolve, uh, you will falter. Look at Proverbs 22.6, probably one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible, especially in relationship to parenting. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, just a couple of things about that, this verse, which is, I believe, often misunderstood. Train up, as you see, is the translation of the Greek word kanak. Uh, and as we're going to see in a moment, that word has two fundamental meanings, which has great applications to parents and grandparents. And any adult that wants to uh, impact the next generation, our after-school tutoring program, you know, our, our tutors involved in that, anyone involved uh, with children. But that verse probably should better be translated, train up a child according to his bent. In other words, it's saying one of the roles of a parent is you've you got to understand your child. You've you got to know their... Uh, unique distinctives. For example, Kathy and I have 10 children, and, and I can tell you every one of them is different. There's not one that's like the other. Uh, and and, it, and it, isn't it exciting to sort of unwrap your child when they come to you and to begin to discover that uniqueness? Uh, and, and, and we had that excitement as, as parents. Now, I'll be honest, there are both good bents and there are what? bad bents uh, because we're created in the image of God and we're marred by sin. And I, I won't embarrass my children by focusing on their bad bents, but just to, uh, you know, what we sort of understood, and we, which has always been very exciting to Kathy and I, you know, Jonathan came around, and uh, if y'all know Giant, uh, Jonathan, very objective, very analytical. Uh, as a child, he was very compliant. He just wanted to see how much he could please mom and dad. And then Christy came along. Uh, fiercely, oh good, she's not in here, uh, fiercely, I think she's he helping find uh, children for fiercely strong-willed. I mean, I, I didn't think my daughter was ever going to love me. I spanked her so much uh, those first four or five years of, of her life. Uh, but very domestic, very domestic, uh, very uh, motherly. Uh, and then there was Jamie. Jamie was our people person. He was very creative. He was the life of the party and the one that we thought was going to take us to our grave uh, in many, many uh, different ways. He was the worst child we had academically. 
We didn't think he was ever going to make it through school. I mean, doing homework with him was just an absolute uh, nightmare uh, settling down. He, I mean, he was a character. You know, to give you one example, they, uh, they were in school one day. They had a substitute teacher come in, and the uh, uh, substitute teacher asked them to uh, write their names on a sheet. And uh, one of the kids, I don't know, it could have been Jamie. I don't know if it was Mark Ashley. I don't know who it was, put on there Spartacus. And so the teacher, you know, looks at that, gets all upset. I said, okay, which one of you put down here your name is Spartacus? And then if you're, you're familiar with the movie, Kirk Douglas, you know, he was a, 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 a slave, a gladiator slave who led a rebellion. And if you're familiar with the movie, eventually the uh, Roman uh, Empire overthrows the rebellion in a, in a, in a battle. Uh, they've rounded up the, uh, all the men that were not killed in the battle. Spartacus is among them. And uh, they offer all the men their lives if they'll just let them know who Spartacus is. They, they, just, they just want to execute Spartacus. And if you're familiar with the movie, Kurt Douglas is about to stand up to say, I am Spartacus. And then, of course, a man stands up and says, I am Spartacus. And then another one says, I am Spartacus. Well, right there in the classroom, that's exactly what happened. Jamie, Jamie stands up and says, I am Spartacus. And then his, uh, another classmate stands up. I, and the whole class did that. And the teacher just shook her head and just gave up at that point. I think, let him go home for the rest of the day. But that's the way uh, Jamie was. And I will tell you, if you have a child like that, there is hope. Um, we're, 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 he's still a wonder to us. Uh, he, he had a, I don't know why I'm getting all this, maybe to encourage somebody. He had a violent temper. He really did. It was awful. And, uh, and like I say, worse academically. You know, he's gone fur further than any child we have. He's, he has his doctorate from a Southeastern uh, Seminary. Uh, uh, we were talking at dinner table one day about his anger and his little episodes, and his wife was with him. And she had this dumbfounded look on her face. And when we got finished with the discussion, she, just, she literally goes, and what an amazing testimony of God's grace. She said, that's just not the Jamie I know. That's totally foreign to me. And so there is hope. There is hope. And then uh, Carrie came along. Carrie was very quiet. If you all know Carrie, she has a deep inner strength. She's uh, uh, very passionate about everything that she does. Uh, Joel. Uh, Joel is very easygoing. He's great under pressure, uh, gentle. He was the perfect uh, brother for his five younger sisters. He was always tender and kind towards them. And then Catherine. Uh, many of y'all don't know Catherine. She's a travel nurse in Seattle right now. She was always very mature for her age, uh, very responsible, very decisive. She's our most adventurous child that likes to push the envelope. And then Carol, very peaceful, just lots of fun, lots of fun, makes us laugh all the time with a very tender heart. And then there's Carla, who's here, and she's saying, oh, Lord, what's God going to say about me? Uh, Carla, of all of our extremely sensitive, uh, very caring, uh, and very protective of others. She, she just wants everyone to be happy, everyone to be pleased. Right, Carla? That, that's got you. And then uh, Caitlin, uh, very, very kind, very kind. Uh, humorous. You may not know about that about uh, Caitlin because she seems to be sort of very quiet and shy. But she's got a very humorous side to her and, and a mediator. And you would think that being the ninth of ten children that, you know, she sort of learned the ropes and sort of how to be a diplomat in all the little squabbles and fights and, and, and wars. And then 
Carissa, who's falling asleep on her dad, as she normally does when I preach, uh, uh, as you know, very affectionate, very affectionate, but also very strong-willed. You remember her statement, Dad, you may be the boss, but what? I'm in charge. And that sort of sums up her, her life. My point is, my point is, I took way too long in doing that. My point is, is it's exciting. Children are exciting. They're differences. They're, they're distinctives. And, and it's one of the role of a parent or a grandparent or a tutor or a teacher or anyone working with the next generation is to understand that individual. They're unique, bent, bad and good, and, uh, and learn to uh, appreciate uh, that. Now, I mentioned that word train up, kanak. In the Hebrew text, and we'll end with this, it means two fundamental things. It has two fundamental meanings. The first, it means to dedicate. And this is where we get the concept of dedicating your child to the Lord. And you've heard me share this at every baby dedication. When we dedicate that child to the Lord, we're acknowledging those three things that you see in your notes. First, my child is what? God's gift to me. My child is God's uh, gift to me. And then second, that my child has what? A destiny to fulfill. The passage there... uh, uh, Psalm 127 says, Children what are a gift of the Lord. The, the fruit of the room is His reward. And it talks about they're like arrows in the warrior's hand. In other words, that arrow has a target to hit. That child has a destiny, has a will. God has a plan, a unique plan for that child. And, uh, and in relationship to that, you may want to, just, you, uh, especially parents and grandparents, may want to just jot down these references. I'm just going to walk through them real quick. They're not in your notes. But how to pray for your child. Now, of course, you, you don't necessarily know God's unique destiny for your child. But you know the key in God in that child fulfilling that destiny is being captured by God, knowing a godly life that will lead him in that direction. So there are several things that you can pray for with confidence as a parent for your child in enabling them to find their God-given destiny. And the first reference put down is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Because it's God's will for your child to be saved. In, in, in that passage, it says that God is what? He's willing that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So as a parent, as a grandparent, or anyone working with, with, with younger individuals, you can be confident that it's God's will for them to be converted, for them to come to know Jesus. So you pray that. And it's also God's will for them to become totally what? Surrendered. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by what? The mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, as a what? Act of worship. And don't be what? Conformed to this world. You are to live out of sync with this world. Don't develop this world's values and perspectives, care and conduct, but be transformed. Be different. Be changed by the grace of God to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you can pray confidently, God, save my child. Bring my child to total surrender. And then it's God's will for your child to be spirit-filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, don't be foolish not understanding what the will of God is. God says, I want you to know my will, therefore be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't abuse. No, you be filled, possessed, controlled by my Spirit that dwells within you. It's also God's will for your child to be pure, to be pure. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
verses 3 and 4. It says, this is God's will towards you to live in what? Moral purity, to abstain from sexual immorality and to know how to what? Control and bring your body under God's reign, God's control, to war against the lust of the flesh, to walk in moral purity. It's also God's will for your child to stand for Christ no matter the cost, to learn how to stand alone for Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 17, it says, you know, God's will is that you don't suffer for wrongdoing, but you suffer for what? Doing that which is right, from righteous living. It's also God's will for your child to share the gospel. He says we're to take the gospel what, to the entire creation. Mark 16, verse 15. And then finally, it's God's will for your child to find satisfaction and joy in God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Uh, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God towards you. God wants your child to discover that true happiness isn't dependent upon circumstances. It isn't dependent upon possessions or other relations. It's dependent upon Christ who lives within as they surrender their lives uh, to Him. So, I'm to dedicate my child to God. He's, he's a gift from God. He has a destiny to fulfill, which should lead me to pray for that child and interact with that child to help him discover his life's destiny. And then, of course, my child is a stewardship for which I'm going to be held accountable to God for. Uh, again, God's not going to hold me accountable for the actions of my child, but he is going to hold me accountable how I manage my responsibility as a parent, as a grandparent. As a, an adult who God desires to influence those below you, hold me accountable. Hold me accountable. So we'll just stop right there. And it'll be a good place to stop. Uh, we'll pick up next week to show you that second meaning behind the word train up, which is a fascinating, fascinating uh, truth that leads to probably the, 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 the key or the secret uh, to effective parenting. Father, we thank you at least we've been able to lay the foundation for this message and, and at least just introduce it. And uh, Father, I hope that what we go, with, go away with today is that as we come to know Jesus, it doesn't stop there. You want us to be an influencer. You want us to be a world changer. You want us to be able to pass that baton of faith to our children or to our grandchildren or to those that we work with, that we relate with, that are younger than we are, that you want us to be an influencer, a godly influence, to be salt, to be light. Uh, and so, Father, I, I pray that as we walk through what I trust will be a very, very practical study, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, or whether you're just at the workplace or at school wanting to influence, disciple, uh, bring others to Christ, grow them in Christ, Lord, just open this truth up to us. And uh, Lord, give us all that heart uh, to not become uh, passive in our Christian faith, uh, but to run the race well to the very end. And like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, despite their past failures, May we, like them, finish well. And may we finish passing that baton of faith on to the next generation. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.